Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello, everyone. What's up? <laughs> What's up, Home Slice? What was the name of that guy? Which, which the guy? character that interviewed Buzz Aldrin on YouTube? Oh, L.E.G. L.E.G. <laughs> if any of you have ever seen, not seen this, it's funny. Yeah, well, it's not just on YouTube, but L.E.G., a.k.a. Borat, is a pretty funny guy. His, his L.E.G. character has been around for a while. He had a special on HBO, or actually a series on HBO. And he interviewed quite a few people as this L.E.G. character, and it's just mind-blowing. At the end of it, he says, listen up to my friend Buzz Lightyear. (laughs) Buzz Aldrin, one of the greats in in, uh, the space program, and he's calling him Buzz Lightyear. Well, obviously, Mr. Lightyear was named for Buzz, so it's it's an appropriate uh, sort of homage. That's right. It's coming full circle. Buzz Aldrin's like got serious credentials too. Talk about credentials. He's got a PhD in astrophysics from MIT. That's got to be a tough PhD right there at MIT. I don't know. I think a lot of people could could get that degree. Certainly is a correspondence course. Don't they have like the thing where Mm -hmm. you can just you know you can get that or auto mechanics or it's that thing on uh, the nine hundred number that you call. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that MIT? You too can be an artist. (laughs) Yeah, I submitted one of those. You, I remember we were together once, and we wrote the number down, and we called it and gave them your address, and they were going to send you, like, the, the thing, the kit. I filled it out. Didn't I tell you that? No, well, I guess not. This it's has been like years. 16 years. No, I filled that out. I was in art school at the time, and I actually got one of those things, and they say, draw Tippy the Turtle and then yeah, the yeah, pirate yeah, guy. Yeah, the pirate, yeah. Yeah, and I drew them, and I did a pretty good job, and I didn't even get a response. Oh, bastards. I felt like dropping out of school at that time. Well, I can see why. I said, you know, my life. It's going down the tubes. Even the shoddy art school correspondence <laughs> course is turning me down. Man. Maybe they fun. thought I was joking. Maybe they did. So, you know, I went to concerts in the court. You know, the thing that Munson will not sell me tickets to when I go to the movies. I, I know very well. I, I haven't been there, but you've told me a couple of times. So they had a band, Black 47, kind of an Irish band, you know, kind of a rock band. They were produced by... Rick Ocasek for the first two records. Really? They actually had some MTV play in the 80s. Rick Ocasek. Cars. I know who he is. I, I don't I, mind you coming here. I've got a story about him. But anyway, yeah. Well, you can share in a minute. So, I don't know. I just was not down with the Black 47. They just weren't happening for me at all. Wow. I was really shocked because they, they, the band just didn't see. And I don't, we, if you've listened to our program, you know we usually don't review things poorly. In fact, if there was something we don't like, we just generally don't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> We've actually opened bottles of wine and they were so bad, we opened another and threw the other one away and never talked about it. We're not going to tell you what those were, but Yeah, we hate negativity. I can't stand it. Well, we're it a makes hate me group. sick. We hate hate. That's right. So, Rick anyway, so Black 47, I, I just wasn't down with them. They just strike me as just not being strong enough to be at the Munson Williams Arts Institute's concert in the court series. They're kind of a bar band. Well, it seems kind of odd that they would be imported all the way from Ireland 
to to play. Well, they're based in, out of New York now. They're all oh, Irish expatriates, and they're all they're all based out of New York now. And their strong songwriting just wasn't that strong. There weren't any melodies that really compelled me. I, it just wasn't happening for me at all. And I was absolutely amazed. I've never seen this happen before. One third of the crowd left. You know, after intermission, there were about one third of the seats were empty. And I've done something I've never done before too. I've only done this at a film once, other than this. But I gave them two more chances. I listened to two more songs, and they were kind of self indulgent and really weren't happening. So I left while they were performing. I've never done that before. You should have pulled the Blues Brothers routine and started throwing bottles at the chicken wire. Yeah, they needed chicken wire. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually wrote a, a polite email to bmortis at mwpa.org, the guy that needs to get a 1,000 emails about not selling tickets. <laughs> anyway, and I never got a reply from him. I kind of talked about the fact that I really didn't enjoy that one. I was curious to know why they booked them. And, you know, and then I humbly suggested a band for Concerts in the Core, a band you might have heard of, a little band called the the, the Levicious Biddies. <laughs> Levicious. The Lascivious Biddies. Because I do happen to know that their press kit is circulating around Munson somewhere. So I was like, I would humbly recommend you check out the Lascivious Biddies because I believe the press kit is in your office somewhere with they, a DVD. They should get them and they should have a follow-up with Stoat. Stoat would rock. Would Stoat play? I mean, would would the crowd enjoy Stoat, you think? I think the crowd would enjoy Stoat more than they enjoyed that band, yeah. Well, I think Stoat is is the bomb. <laughs> Stoat rocks. In fact, we, there's still stuff from that record we haven't played, so we'll have to get to that one of these I days. know. I should probably just dig it up. I didn't want to like inundate people with Stoat, but... I have the CD. It's at okay. home. We'll, uh, okay. we'll play some more Stoat. Yeah, so anyways, I wanted to mention Rick Ocasek because you said that the, the band was produced by them. Yeah, like the first two records. Yeah, so I am um, I was in graduate school, and I'm in one of the, the buildings. It was the Media Arts Center at uh, Syracuse University, or Art Media Center. Um, and that's where they do all of the video, photography, uh, computer graphics kind of artwork. It's it's not the, the classic arts like painting and drawing. It's, it's the more contemporary type media. And the the video art professor who was there, since it's a fairly small program. Isn't that like a DVD that teaches you how to do Windows? The video <laughs> art professor who <laughs> no, send you free DVDs? No, that's the video professor. Oh, I think you're right. oh. Or the, or the art media. So close. Video professor of, of video studies. I can't remember what his real title was. This was a lot of years ago. So anyways, I see him walking down one of the hallways of this building, very industrial-like type building. And... He's with this guy who's like 19 feet tall, dressed from head to toe in black leather. He was wearing a black leather jacket, a black t-shirt, in black leather pants, with black leather boots, and was wearing black sunglasses. His hair was dyed black. And literally, this guy, I think he was like 6'9". This guy. Yeah. Do you know who it was? Uh, Manute Ball. <laughs> Rick Ocasek. How tall is he? He's he's in a monstrous guy. He's like he's probably six five, six six. Really? Who? He's married to Paulina Poretskova, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Maybe I just felt short that day. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but he seemed like a very tall guy, and especially when he's dressed in in all black. And he was probably as rail thin as I've ever seen a human well, being. Well, I think you're confusing him with Story Musgrave. Who's? Oh yeah. You saw him in the halls at SU, didn't you? Yes, I did. No, different guy, different one look. The, one of the more famous, more recent astronauts. Yeah. Probably has more hours in space than anyone right now out of the, the current crew. Yeah, and he has less hair than Rick Ocasek. But anyways, I, uh, I, it, I turn, I, as it turns out, he was looking for, for a place to do some video production because they had state-of-the-art facilities at that point. Um... I don't know if anything ever came of it, but yeah, that was my brush with greatness. 
at work, we get some industry magazines, Pro Sound News and all of this stuff that most people wouldn't have a, a particularly big interest in reading, but I love them. And Mr. Okasik was on the cover of a recent issue. And inside the article about him, there were juxtaposed some uh, old photos of the 80s with the really thin ties right. and the long, narrow lapels. And then the modern the ties had a keyboard. Yeah, that it. type of thing. And, you know... Uh, you know, not to knock Mr. Okasik, but he has not aged well. He's looking, he's looking, uh, I don't know, he needs to be lacquered or something. I don't quite know what. A lot of those guys from the 80s didn't age well, but one he guy. He needs a good spackling and a sanding, a little bondo or something. I don't know. A new fresh coat of clear coat. <laughs> exactly. That's one of the things they did on Mythbusters, by the way. They tried the tree-saving remedies, you know, the, the the remedies that keep needles from falling off your oh, tree. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they actually did an entire polyurethane or whatever <laughs> clear coat of one of the trees, you know. And that, ironically, did not fare well. Well, I think that would kill the tree immediately. No, it didn't, but it didn't fare as well as, you know, they did a they did a, uh, a control of just water. And then they, the one that actually did pretty well was uh, a little bit of bleach in the water. You would think that really? would kill a tree, but apparently it doesn't. Or maybe you spray it on the tree. I didn't actually see that whole segment. Maybe you spray the tree, you know, you dust it with a, a, a water with a little bleach. But the, the product that did the best was spraying the tree with hairspray. That doesn't even make any sense. I don't know. It's probably but, a mechanical thing. It probably has nothing to do with the, the, yeah. giving the tree any life. Yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, I think that we've pretty much burned up the, the minutes of the intro with some nonsense, and we've gone <laughs> off on 17 tangents, as we usually do. Yeah, well, you know. We got a tune? Yeah, it's by Gumby. <laughs> Let's check it out. I'll be there tearing up the rug. I 
dance like a monster. I dance like a monster. I dance like a monster. I That's a good tune. Jonas Grumby. A.K.A. Skipper! Yeah. That was one of the, the, the questions I used to ask people. This kind of like my geek test to see just how much TV have they watched. Right. Jonas Grumby is the actual name of the Skipper, skipper on Gilligan's on Island. Gilligan's Island. That was, it was a band called Jonas Grumby. I actually assisted as an engineer on that record that was recorded in Utica and downstate in Jersey when I worked there. And uh, that was a fun project. There's a lot of strong songs in that record. I just the band is actually long gone. They've been gone for about five years. It's too bad. But they wrote some really cool stuff. They came really close to signing a big deal. They did. They played a club in Manhattan, and some really hardcore producers approached them that night. It just didn't happen. And uh, real strong songwriting, though. Good players. A lot of fun. I'm gonna. Uh, Any story as to why it didn't happen? Because they seem like they're pretty talented. Well, I I don't know. I really wasn't there at those gigs, but. And I really don't recall. I mean, my friend Mike Ward, who produced the record and was the lead engineer on the project, I mean, if I emailed him, uh, he might know the answer. But uh, Not I, enough I, manila envelopes being passed under tables, well, apparently. No, they're never manila. They're white. Oh, they're white? Yeah, they're always white, the envelopes. Very, very, You're Italian. You should they're, know. They're bulging. <laughs> you know. But anyway, it's great song. That is off of a record called Elephant Angel. <laughs> they have a really cool CD. It's purple, and it's got an elephant with two little wings on its back. It's, well, it's, it would be the Elephant Angel, it I think. It would be. Yeah, it's quite literal. Oh, man. So what's uh, happened in the world of film these days? Well, I saw a great film. I rented it, and I had seen it reviewed by Siskel and Niebert and Roper, or whatever they're calling themselves now. And You brought up the, the name of Siskel? He's been gone for a long I time. I know, but it was, it, was, it was Siskel and Ebert for a long time, right? It is, yeah. And just as a joke, I used to call it Roper and Dead Guy, and I know that's not particularly you know nice or sensitive, but you should relate to that, Mr. No Sensitivity Lately, John. I am filled with sensitivity. I cried the other day. Okay, well, or, we'll talk about that. All right, I got a paper minute. cut, and it made me cry. You poured lemon juice in it. <laughs> yeah. Give me a paper cut and pour lemon juice in it. Why don't you? What movie? Lemon juice, paper cut? That sounds like the Saturday Night Live skit. That doesn't sound no, like the Princess Bride. It is Billy Crystal. Oh, though. that. Oh, okay. When they go to Max's Max that's, Miracle Max's house, that's right. He's not dead yet. He's she's rubbing in. Why don't you give me a paper cut and pour lemon juice in it while you're at it? Princess Bride. I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. That's like one of the best lines in that scene. <laughs> one of the best films ever. So I saw a film called The Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill. Uh, 2003 production, rated G. All your kids can watch this film. I don't know. It sounded kind of racy, that title. It's a documentary. And it's about the wild parrots of Telegraph Hill, which is this community, this hill in San Francisco. Telegraph Hill, even? Telegraph Hill, overlooking the bay. Cool. It's quite an upscale neighborhood. And uh, there is this flock of... What are they? They're cherry-headed conyers. The first time I heard that, it, to me, it sounds like a racial slur. You cherry-head, you know. I mean, it's cherry-headed conyer. Yeah, that, but that's what these these parrots are, and they're native to Ecuador, which is right down there by the equator. 
And it must be one of those stories where they were sending these birds up here for pet shops or some people must have had a few and they escaped and they started breeding. And, you know, that sort of geometric expansion thing. (laughs) And then the next thing you knew, there were tyrannosaurs running through San Francisco chasing Jeeps. Yep, yep. It's a chaos theory. Yep. And suddenly there's like 80, 90, 100, and now there's something like 190 parrots in this flock. And the story, the movie is also in parallel. It's about the birds, but it's also about this guy named Mark Bittner who lives in this little cottage built around 1900 on the side of Telegraph Hill. Wonderful, beautiful community. And, you know, we're we're watching this guy and we're wondering, A, how does he support himself? He has no apparent means of support. And he does. And ultimately we see in the film that he is living by the good graces of two people who are very well off, have a beautiful house, and they own his chunk of property with the cabin on it, and they let him stay there. We don't know why. They're just good people. He lived there for like three years. Yeah. San Francisco is not a cheap place to live. No. And, you know, San Francisco still has a lot of that sort of Berkeley kind of hippie kind of crowd. And he's one of them. He kind of wanted to be a musician. I think he was born in Seattle. He went down to San Francisco to kind of do the music thing. And it just didn't happen. And then he kind of lived on the street and on rooftops studying Eastern arts and meditation kind of to center himself. And he's really an interesting character. And he sort of began taking care of these birds. And they're wild. They are by every every definition of the term wild, except he has, you know, seed things out on his back porch and all that. And they would come to eat his seeds. And then they got a little bit used to him and they would take seeds from his hands and they would land on him. And he got to know the birds quite well to the point where he named them. And they all had really cool names and and he had developed this relationship with them. But the, the interesting scene, the very first scene of the film, somebody walks by, you know, because there's this stairway leading up to his house. And I don't know if it's considered public or private, but this guy was walking by as he's feeding the birds. And this guy was just being a major jerk because he was contesting with Mark the idea that, the well, if you're feeding them, how can they be wild? He so wanted Mark Bittner to say that they weren't wild. But these birds can survive on their own, and it was demonstrated at one point in the film because at one point in the film, the people who own his cabin, for whatever reason, they don't make that clear, decide they're going to do a renovation of the cabin and actually just rent it to normal people, and they do this beautiful renovation, and Mark has to leave, and he has to leave the parrots, and the birds survived fine mm-hmm. until he moves back. And I won't tell you the circumstances under which he moves back, but it's actually quite pleasant, and it's a nice happily ever after living kind of film because we're not sure what's going to happen to Mark. He doesn't have any money and he's been feeding these birds and there's a few of the birds who've been ill and he keeps them inside because they couldn't survive with the flock. They'd be plucked out of the air by birds of prey and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they do make that clear. There, there are many times in the film where they make it perfectly clear. I don't know if you're aware of this, but you know, larger birds of prey will feed on smaller birds, sure will. which is kind of gross, but you know, it's kind of a cannibalism kind of thing, but it's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And they'll, they'll literally pluck them out of the air. They will, they will, swoop in and take them as they're flying. Yep. Yeah. Raptors it's are common. great. I love raptors. We have a lot of red-tailed hawk around here, and there's even a few uh, bald eagles yep. around here. I saw a golden eagle this summer when I was riding my bike. A golden really? eagle. That was one of the coolest sightings I've ever had. I think I talked about some of the cool the cool sightings I've had when I've been on my bike. You know, birds flying by like a, mm-hmm. a great blue heron. Was yeah, feeding. the heron are wild. There was a great blue heron feeding in a in a ditch at the roadside. There must have been some water in there and some frogs. And I startled him. And this bird with like this six foot wingspan flew out of the ditch and flew like five feet over me when I was They're on huge. the bike. Yeah, it's like prehistoric. 
They're like and, pterodactyls. And when they take off, it's it's kind of like the spruce goose. It like it takes a long time for them to get airborne. They look really kind of uncoordinated and yep. like they shouldn't be flying. And my friend Lisa, who's a big birder, has never been that close to a great blue heron. Yeah. He flew over my head. If I jumped, I could have reached up and touched him. That's how close he was. It was amazing. I had a, uh, an encounter with a red-tailed hawk, too. I was on my way to work, and I make this right turn um, from Cider Street on the Judd Road by the United County Airport. And there's, like, one of these signs advertising a pizzeria. And the sign is held up by two 4x4s that are just jammed in the ground. Yeah. And that's about 10 feet off the road. There was a red-tailed hawk just sitting on one of the 4x4s when I ran around the corner a few years ago. So I've had a couple of nice uh, brushes with birds. Yeah, if you're going down the throughway, you'll always see a hawk sitting in a tree just hanging out looking for uh, mice and rodents and kind of things like that. In this They're film. They're amazing. Yeah. In this film, we get to get to know a couple of the parrots a little better. One of the parrots who was a little, a little infirm had to live indoors, and his name was Mingus. Probably <laughs> like named the after the Charlie Mingus. And because uh, this guy was a bit of a beatnik hippie kind of crossover guy. He took a little bit from all the philosophies and he visited City Lights Bookstore, which was a very famous beat bookstore in San Francisco. In fact, the cafe that I go to, Domenico's, there's a poster of the City Lights Bookstore with all of the beat writers, you know, standing mm-hmm. in front of it. And it's like a famous picture that was on Life Magazine's cover or something. And then when they showed City Lights Bookstore, I was like, oh, cool. Oren would be into this. But we get to know a couple of the birds very well. One of them is named Connor and he's not a cherry-headed conure. He's a blue-headed conure. Uh-oh. He was just hanging out with him because he had no place else to go. He had no other blue-headed conures to hang around with. He's so like Richard it's, Gere. It's, He's it's, got no place else to go. It's quite sad, though, because his body language is different enough where he can never find a mate, you know? He oh, never sure. He hangs with them to flock because parrots are flocking creatures, and they need to flock, just like dogs or pack animals and things like mm-hmm. that. They survive better in flocks. But he doesn't really fit in, and it's really kind of sad. We get to know Connor. He named him Connor because it sounds like Conyer. But he had names for all of them. We got to know We also got, like I said, we got to know Mingus, who's a little deranged. He's a little bit of a crazy attack parrot, but he's got a really cool personality. He dances when uh, uh, when Mark would play guitar. He played blues, and uh, Mingus would dance up and down. You know, They're very smart animals. Oh, they're They're brilliant, yeah. There's an African gray that I've seen plenty of specials on on uh, Discovery or Learning Channel because it can identify square, triangle. It can mm-hmm. identify colors. It can count. Yep. Absolutely amazing animals. And I don't want to give too much away about this film, about kind of the evolution of what happens to Mark and the making of the film. But it's really a wonderful piece of work. If you love animals, if you love interesting people, if you love the Bay Area because there's all kinds of beautiful scenery – it's absolutely astounding. I mean, there is a little bit of sadness in the film, as I talked about the birds of prey. You know, they do make prey of some of the parrots. It's kind of sad. Some of the ones we get to know pretty well. It's this kinda... Mark Bittner character, he hasn't eaten them, does he? <laughs> he gets a spit going, a little rotisserie. He, <laughs> he makes he grills them up. He makes a little parrot on a stick. <laughs> no. <laughs> What's nice about the DVD release of this film is that this film came out in 2003, and he had written a book called The Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill, and that's kind of what this filmmaker had seen, apparently, and started making this film. But what's nice about the DVD is they have an update. They have like an 18-minute update film about Mark and what's going on and about the birds, because when he moves, the flock is fine. They, They demonstrate that they can live on their own. Yep. As wild parrots, despite what that guy in the beginning of the film was trying to argue that they weren't wild. But he has to bring Mingus and some of the uh, the injured parrots to a bird sanctuary. I think it's in Arizona. And it's this amazing place where all these injured birds live. You adopt them there. 
And they just live out the rest of their life with bird lovers taking care of them out in the outdoors. And it's actually kind of nice. And, and and what's nice about the film is they talk about this place and they give their URL. And, um, you know, I, I, they're worthy of a donation. Cool. Yeah. They and do some cool stuff. It doesn't end like the uh, the grizzly man type thing, does it? Where he, he tries to actually <laughs> the be parrots, part of the bird the, flock. The parrots eat him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking what the equivalent of of that would be is... He thinks that he's actually a parrot and he tries to fly. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not that crazy. He's actually a, a, a quite a normal guy, but he has a passion for birds. And this is kind of in keeping with what we talked about on show 15 or show 25, whatever it was. Do what you love and the money will follow. Here was a guy who had no real means of income. He just did odd jobs every once in a while to be able to afford some groceries. He wrote this book. The book was a New York Times bestseller. A film gets made about him, and now he's called on to lecture and and make wow. appearances. So suddenly he's turned this bizarre passion that he has into a way to make a living, which I applaud because he's a quirky guy that wouldn't fit into society in, in, in a lot of ways. He's one of those puzzle pieces that just doesn't fit in. You know, sure. He's a little obtuse, but he's still a great guy. And it's absolutely wonderful film and uh, probably one of the bigger thumbs I'm going to give. The, the Wild Parrot's of Telegraph Hill. So you're going to give it a thumb instead of just an average finger. No, I'm not going to give it a finger. I'm going to give it a thumb. Very nice. Oh, and you know what this film reminded me of? It's released by what must be the same distribution company that did Touch the Sound, which was that film that I talked about about the deaf percussionist. Yep. And I hadn't thought about that film in about a year, and they did a little three-minute thing, a little uh, preview, if you will, of Mm -hmm. Touch the Sound. And if you haven't seen that film yet, that's another one that no, you really got to see. It's that film is not just you know how every once in a while there's a film. Of course, everything we in, that we do in life is an experience. But you know how you go to some event or something and it's a real profound experience. Right. Touch the sound was a pretty profound experience. I really want to talk about that film again and just say if you haven't seen that, you definitely need to see it. I know Kirsten out there in Arizona, since she's studying to be, a, she's practicing the drums now, had expressed a great interest in that film. And I'm wondering if she had seen that yet. And if you have, Kirsten, uh, drop by the blog and the forum and let us know. But, I, well, let's recommend both those films. I'm going to recommend cool. Touch the Sound again and The Cherry-Headed Conyers of Telegraph Hill, The Wild Parrots of Telegraph Hill. Cool. Well, we've got some more tune edge. What what should we got? We've got some, got some uh, Rasta Funkska. That reminded me of... Um, Dale Bozio, there's a Frank Zappa record where somebody says something, I got something for you. And she goes, what do you got? <laughs> I think it's on Joe's Garage. I don't know. <laughs> Joe's great. Anyway, right. let's check it out.
With a bullet. Tell me something. Rising the charts. Still one of my favorite bands ever, The Fiends. Sort of that pop punk kind of rock and roll stuff with yep. Jerry the Singer's rich baritone, sort of Elvis Costello y kind of Very voice. Very much Elvis Costello. And all those great harmonies, the great background vocals. And the guys can just play their instruments. They're just a tight, tight unit, you know? <laughs> you said unit. I said tight <laughs> unit. <laughs> They're a tight band. <laughs> you said band. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's what they are, man. <laughs> you said R. <laughs> Anyways, we're getting drunk on some wine here. It's, what are we uh, drinking? It's uh, 2000 Columbia Winery Red Willow Vineyard Yakima Valley Syrah. It's a Syrah, which is sort of the French and American version of what? A Shiraz. That's right. And this is actually pretty good. I'm liking this. Yeah, it's not bad. You, you sort of put some major caveats on it when I was pulling the half cork off of this thing. <laughs> Well, this wine was actually on closeout at a local wine store, and I had bought a bottle, and it was slamming. And I I searched on the internet and found a bunch of uh, references to it, and the the sale price was something like $8 a bottle, so I bought a case. It was $8 a bottle at the uh, the wine store, but, I mean, it's been selling. I've seen it anywhere from 23 to $40 a bottle on the internet. You but, should put uh, it on eBay. Well, I may, but a friend of mine had purchased a few bottles of the remaining, uh, the remaining bit that was there. She bought like the last four bottles or something, and some of the corks were dry, and they broke. As did this one. Yep. When we were opening it up, I of course blame John. Well, you know, I am the the fault for everything. That's why I was saying last time that you know, if I ever saw that supreme being, I'd say I'm sorry, and it's primarily for this cork. It's the cork that you broke, <laughs> among other things. Let me see that cork. Let me feel yeah, how it, dry that is. Um, I think it broke because it was it had an exploding bolt in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, it broke right in half. I was, I've I've only had this happen a couple of times. You you screw the corkscrew in, obviously, and then when you're pulling it out, the top of, top half just comes out. So I had to screw the rest in and pull it out again. Well, of course, what you needed was more penetration with the corkscrew. <laughs> you said penetration. This with is the, the corkscrew. This is the official innuendo show. So, Rich, did you get me a Christmas present? I did. You know, I actually forgot to bring it. Because is it, is it a package? We're taping this show on our Christmas show back to backs because our next few weekends are going to be really busy for us. So we're going to do uh, the Christmas show right after this. And I was actually going to bring you a bottle of that. You didn't get me with a, my compliments. A PS3. You didn't stand in line for 15 hours in, in the snow. You get... said PS3. 
<laughs> I said package, too, a while ago. <laughs> you did. Yeah, no, I didn't stand in line for any PlayStations or Xbox 480s or 720s or whatever they're calling them now. 900 now. They're, they're going up 900. To... That's not a multiple of 12. <laughs> well, it's like 900. Or is know? it? You know, What's you 900 can... divided by 12? You can do a 360, that's one rotation, and then a 900 is two rotations plus another half. And you trip and fall and break your nose. You break your spine. So I saw another film at the Muslim Williams Proctor Arts Institute, and this was sort of a very sort of obtuse kind of – maybe it was even convex. I'm not even sure what it was. was I don't mean to interrupt here, but don't you think they should be paying us at this point? Well – yeah, because I have to pay for every DM ticket that I buy. You mentioned their show every. You mentioned their 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 program every single show. That's because they have a great independent film series. Well, you know what? We should start hitting them up for some cash. All right. Well, they talk- don't actually. They don't like me because I've argued with them about like the ticket thing. So. Well, they don't have to like you. They just have to pay us. Well, I'll mention that to be mortis at mwpai.org. And see. So there you go. We should get the angry mob to email them and say, you know, the bloodthirsty vegetarians talk about and, and give you guys plugs every week without fail. And you yet said you, plug. <laughs> you give them no money. <laughs> so I saw a film called The Science of Sleep. It's a 2006 film from France, yet lots of English spoken in it, uh, directed by Michael Gondry, who's actually kind of famous for doing a lot of like Back in Bjork videos. Really? So he's very, uh, stylistically, he's sort of surreal. kind of surreal. And that's really what this film is. It's kind of surreal. It's about this guy named Stefan Miru, and we just kind of know him as Stefan. And he's actually Mexican, but living in, in, in France. He doesn't speak French very well, so he kind of defaults to English because a lot of the other French-speaking mm-hmm. people in the film speak English. So there is a lot of English, and there is some subtitled French as well. And Stefan is having a hard time discerning reality from fantasy, reality from his dreams. When he goes to sleep, he has these dreams, and it's like Stefan TV. It's like he's in this cardboard, literally. Everything is made of cardboard and these really sort of dorky-looking TV cameras. And he lives out these bizarre fantasies in his dreams, and he thinks he's the host of this television show called Stefan TV. His problem, though, is that when he wakes up again, he has a hard time discerning the reality of having woken, awoken, awakened, awakened, he he, worked. Yes, he something. He has a very difficult time discerning reality from his Stefan TV dreams. So a lot of things that he wants to happen, he dreams about, and they happen in his dreams. And then he kind of hopes they'll happen in real life, and they don't. He ends up developing a relationship with Stephanie. It's Stefan <laughs> e. and Stephanie. You get it? You get it? They did a little twist on it. Let me let me guess. Stephanie is Stefan. No, they didn't quite go that far. But oh, she's a woman damn. who lives across the hall, and she's sort of a quirky woman, just like he's sort of a quirky guy. They do all these sort of weird arts and craftsy things together. And we're really, really pulling for sort of a relationship to develop between these two, even though in the beginning, Stefan shows a great liking for Zoe, Stephanie's friend. And I got to say, Zoe was really hot. Ruh-roh. <laughs> yeah. As Scooby-Doo would say. So... The film evolves with him kind of going to work to this very mundane job where he does uh, sort of text layout for this company in France that does like boring calendars. Like they do theme calendars. And he doesn't, he's an artist, but he actually doesn't do any artwork on it. He just does like the printing. He picks like the fonts and the (laughs) typeface and the sizes and stuff like that. 
But at one point in the film, and this is actually quite funny, he pitches his own calendar idea to the owner of the company. And he has been working on this for like two years. And he associates months of the year with horrific accidents and plane <laughs> crashes and things like that. So he does this calendar of like every month it's a different tragedy. <laughs> like one is like, you know a plane crash and another one is like you know an awful earthquake where 100,000 people died and one of them was probably like you know the uh the tsunami you know yeah. then you know and it's 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 mildly amusing and uh, actually what's even funnier is at one point the the guy who owns the calendar company does release his calendar as one of their <laughs> products which is sort of a sad commentary but the film evolves with these two people sort of trying to develop a relationship and not knowing quite how to do it I think in Stephanie's case, it's partly because she's a little socially inept. And I think in Stefan's case, it's also that. But I think he's also sort of delusional. I think, quite frankly, by the end of the film, he's a little delusional. And there's a scene at the end where he's leaving to go back to Mexico. And he just sort of falls on Stephanie's bed and just starts crying. And the film kind of ends. And it sort of ends on a very ambiguous tone. And you don't know whether to be hopeful or not hopeful about like the relationship between Stefan and Stephanie. Or Stefan's mental well-being, because by the end of the film, I sort of saw him as a man needing Prozac. You know what I mean? He was a little bit off the deep end. But this stylistically, in the way this film was shown and presented, there's a lot of stop motion in it. There's a lot of these little arts and crafts projects that they do together that become stop motion films in themselves of these things that they're making coming to life. So, I mean, if, if you're a fan of, like, the visual aspect of filmmaking, and, I mean, they're sort of doing very low-tech things in this high-tech world. They're, they're sure. resorting to stop motion with, like, claymation and, you know, cellophane and construction paper and things like that, and it's actually quite cool. And a lot of the scenes that they did in Stefan TV and his dreams, the little, little studio that he had, were really quite cool, too. So I really would recommend it. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the Stefan character because I think he's a little bit of off the deep end. And usually these sort of abstract films, usually they're not linear enough for me and they're a little too abstract for my sort of bizarre straight line thinking mind. But You're rigid one, is what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 And yes, I You're going to start calling me Herbert. <laughs> Herbert. Herbert. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it hit too close to home. Maybe you actually are Stefan. I could be Stefan. Or maybe you just don't like Mexicans. He's an, he's an interesting person. He actually invented a time machine that either sends you forward or backwards one second. Really? Yeah. Well, and that's not unlike a film that I saw. What was that time travel film? Uh, it was originally shot in like 16 millimeter and it ended up getting picked up and released. And it was about these two guys who invent this machine, which can send you backward or Prime, forward in time. Or primer. Primer. Yeah. yeah. So they would do that was like a minute. You could get a couple of minutes out of their time machine. But this one was exactly one second. <laughs> not bad. Yeah, but well, yeah, this is a nice piece of work, and I would definitely recommend it. I mean, stylistically, it's it's interesting, if nothing else. I think visually, it's it's very appealing and interesting, and there's a lot of really funny comedy in here, and the characters are really all likable, including all the strange people he works with at that calendar company. Yeah, well, I had heard about this film before, and I I hadn't heard about the the other stylistic things, like the stop-motion animation thrown in the middle of it. Yeah, there's a lot of it, too. Yeah, so I... I think they were trying to not spoil it, but uh, thanks for that. Thanks for spoiling it for me. Well, that's that's my middle name. That's that's your gift to me? <laughs> gift for the season? Yes, it is. What else are you going to do? Nothing. Get me fired from my job? <laughs> you're, you're doing a pretty good job of that yourself, mister. John was tree streaking I'm, through their Christmas I'm, party. I'm doing my best. Well, I wasn't necessarily streaking. You were. Yeah, oh, yes, they call him the street. Well, boogadat, boogadat. Okay. Fastest thing on two feet. Boogadat, boogadat. Don't look, Ethel. Remember that Put song? Put your clothes on. <laughs> well, you know, 
I guess technically you could say I was streaking if the technical definition of streaking is standing up on the dessert tray and urinating. <laughs> you know what? Urinating brings me back to this film is not yet rated because in the uh, the film that Matt Stone did, the, the guy from South Park, they actually knew there were going to be issues with well, puppets having sex. Yes. They actually knew there were going to be issues. So what they did was they cut way more into that scene than they were ever intending to, but they did it on purpose because they knew those scenes. They had to give something to the ratings board so that they could take out. Sure. They edited the puppet sex scene way too long, and it did involve, like, the man urinating on the woman puppet and all of these really lewd and sort of things that a lot of people would consider obscene. <laughs> yeah, I would. <laughs> the whole point, though, was because they needed to give some sacrificial lambs to the ratings board so the ratings board can come and say, okay, if you take out the urination scene <laughs> and you take out the anal eating scene... <laughs> Which was in there as well. Are you serious? Yeah. I don't want to go into two. I'll tell you when we're off mic here. But yeah, there was all kinds of weird stuff. So they made the scene way longer and way more, you know, sort of obscene than they were going to because they knew they were going to be asked to take it out. And they did. And then suddenly their rating became an R. Wow. And what's even better is that now the rating board knows they were used. <laughs> they were played like a cheap video game by the guys from South Park, and the South Park guys won, which is the best part. And they're pretty funny. They're pretty intelligent they're guys. They're very hysterical. I don't necessarily like everything that they've produced, but I, I can I can uh, definitely agree with their stand that, that they should they should push the envelope in some cases. And it's all about expression. you got to express yourself. Yeah. And the one thing that I like about those guys is that they do not take prisoners. It's not like they're taking one side or the other. They're not left. They're not right. They take issue with everyone, and they will hit everyone hard. That's right. Anyway, I think that's a show. Yeah, I think it is. All right. Let's let's play the uh, Klingons. Klaxons. Klingons? I think that those are uh, more of a Romulan kind of klaxon. It might be, now that you mention it. Dive! What'd you call me? My house is very nice, thank you. Don't call it a dive. <laughs> it's a little cold, though. It's time to turn the furnace back on. Yeah, maybe I should. Anyway, you've been listening to Bloodthirsty Vegetarians right here on... Vib. On your whatever media player you're using. Yes, your cheap media player. That's right. Check us out on the web, www... Did I say that already? Bloodyveg.com? No, yeah, bloodyveg.com. Yeah, read our forum. It's bloodyveg.com slash forum. Imagine that. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can send it to feedback or fleedback at yeah. bloodyveg.com except the feedback won't work it's just yeah. feedback at bloodyveg.com yeah and send all your spam to spam at aol.com or president at whitehouse.gov that's right and remember you're listening to VIB